1 Samuel chapter 30, let's begin let's, at verse 1 and let's read the word of the Lord together, shall we? Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. Now, Lord, I ask you to open our hearts that we may hear what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. Let faith rise in us that we may respond in a manner that will give glory to you and will touch the lives of your people. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones who are not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray, O oh Lord, that you will draw them to a place of repentance. I pray especially today for sons and daughters who have wandered away from the faith. I pray, O oh Lord, that the Holy Spirit will arrest their heart, will capture them, and bring them back to you. Don't let one of them be lost, I pray. I ask these things in the only name that matters, the marvelous name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This year marks 45 years that I have served in full-time ministry in the church. In that time, one of the things I've observed is that when people are under stress that doesn't let up, they have a tendency to panic and do crazy things. You know, when it persists day in and day out without reprieve, they get desperate for relief. And under that kind of pressure their perception gets distorted. They, they tend to lose the ability to think straight. People under relentless pressure do things they would never do under any other normal circumstances. They, they throw caution to the wind. They don't think through the ramifications of their actions. This seems to explain, at least in part, some of the decisions and behavior of David at the end of the book of 1 Samuel. For over seven years, David had been on the run from King Saul. And during that time, 
Saul had tried to kill David at least 16 different times. David's picture was on wanted posters all over Israel. Everywhere he turned, there was somebody waiting to turn him in and collect the reward. On two occasions, David had proven that he had no intentions of harming Saul by dramatically sparing his life, but it didn't seem to matter. Saul's paranoia and jealousy blinded him from seeing anything in David but an enemy that needed to be destroyed. At the end of chapter 26 of 1 Samuel, David has once again spared the life of Saul. Now, the two companies of David and Saul parted ways with an uneasy truce, but now the stress and the pressure of over seven years of running and hiding is getting to David, and, and he does a most irrational thing. He decides at the beginning of chapter 27 that he would be better going to the land of the Philistines in order to escape the hand of Saul. Now, you re you'll remember that he tried this once before back in chapter 21 with disastrous results. Now here he is again deciding to go to King Achish of Gath for asylum. King Achish was a brute, but apparently he wasn't very bright. The first time David came to Gath, you remember, he pretended to be mad and his mental illness struck fear in Achish and so he had him removed from the city. This time, David brings his army of 600 hardened soldiers and pretends to be defecting in order to become his ally against Saul. Positively drooling over the prospect of having such a skilled army at his disposal, Achish gives David the city of Ziklag, just below the southern border of Judah. And this becomes David's home base of operations. From here, he plays a dangerous game of double agent. He launches raids against the enemies of Israel, each time completely wiping out the opposition so there's no one left to expose what he has done. But then he reports to Achish that he's conducting assaults against his own people of Israel. For about 16 months, David and his men walked this tightrope. King Achish was so completely fooled that when the Philistines decided to launch a massive military campaign against Saul and the Israelites, Achish took David and his army with him as his personal bodyguards. David is now caught on the horns of a dilemma. If he doesn't go with Achish and the Philistines, his duplicity will be discovered. If he does go and fights against Israel, he will forfeit his right to become king. If he goes and subsequently turns against the Philistines, he loses any possibility of future protection should Saul prevail. David is in a no-win situation until he arrives at the battlefield in Aphek and the other Philistine generals protest him and his men marching with them into battle. Achish may have trusted him, but the other Philistine lords only remembered the victory song of the women of Israel when they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. They demanded that David be removed from their company. Well, when Achish tells David, he, he pretends to be offended, greatly hurt, and he protests, but, but don't you know that he was secretly relieved? <laughs> 
I mean, he didn't have to wonder what to do now. The decision had, had been made for him. With the problem resolved, David and his 600 started back to Ziklag. It was about a 60-mile journey from Aphek to Ziklag, and I suspect there was some joking and lighthearted banter and maybe even some singing over the three days it took them to return to their homeland. David was spared a headache on the battlefield, but not a heartache at home. As they approached Ziklag, their stomach must have turned as they saw smoke rising in the distance. Arriving in Ziklag, they discovered that while they were away, the Amalekites had attacked. The city was destroyed. There, there was a, a momentary sigh of relief when no bodies were discovered, but then they realized that a fate worse than death had befallen their wives and children. They hadn't been killed, but they had been captured as slaves, subjected to every abuse and atrocity that could be imagined by the cruel Amalekites. Overnight, everything David and his men worked so hard for and the people that meant everything to them were taken from them. David lost it all. He lost his flocks and herds. He lost his wealth. He lost Ziklag, his place of refuge. He lost his wives, Ahinoam and Abigail. The name Ahinoam means delight. The name Abigail means joy. David lost his delight and joy. He lost the children, which meant he lost his future. He lost his men, because the Bible says in verse 6 that the men were so embittered that they began to blame David and they spoke of stoning him. The Bible says in verse 6 that David was greatly distressed. It means it was a compounded feeling of distress. Not only was he burdened by the losses of his men and by the defeat from the enemy, but now he carries his own personal burden, and the men he led were affixing blame upon him for their troubles as well. What do you do when you are greatly distressed? What do you do when it looks like your life is going pretty well and then out of the blue you find yourself coming up short or facing something that completely knocks you off your feet? What do you do when you lose your job or your house or your car? What do you do when the doctor's prognosis is terminal? What do you do when the person you love abandons you? Or passes away? What do you do when the financial crisis strikes? What do you do when you wind up being the person who has to take care of your grandchildren? What do you do when the family member is caught in the bondage of addiction? What do you do when you have no more resources? When your safe place is no longer safe? when you have no hope and no future? What do you do when you have lost it all? David is going to show you in this story. First of all, you weep. 
you weep. Verse 4 says, then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. I know weeping may not sound very spiritual, but the preacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says in verse 1, there is an appointed time for everything and there is a time for every event under heaven. He continues in verse 4 and says, there is a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In the face of great loss and grief and intense pain, it's okay to weep. It, 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 it's not just okay, it's important to grieve. Tears are healing. You should never feel guilty for breaking down and crying. I often say to people who are mourning the death of a loved one that the tears are an indication of the depth of their love. See, the more you love, the more it hurts. It's okay to feel sorry for yourself for a little while. Go through the grieving process. But there comes a time when you have to pick your chin up off the carpet and move forward. When you've lost it all, it's okay to grieve deeply, to weep. But somewhere along the line, you have to get over it in order to get it back. Don't allow yourself to get stuck wallowing in your self-pity. It's okay to mourn, but don't stay there. When you've suffered great loss, weep, but then David shows the next step to take, and that's to wait. You know, when, when, tra when tragedy strikes, too many people just start reacting. You know, they just start slinging stuff everywhere. <laughs> They make hasty decisions without considering all the facts. They become irrational. They look for someone to blame. This is what David's men are doing. They weep, but then they get bitter and they start talking about rebelling and even stoning their leader. They don't know what else to do, so they start reacting. Anything to try and make the pain go away. Not David. He knew enough to take a step back and wait. Now, Waiting isn't a passive posture. Waiting isn't just sitting around hoping things are going to get better. In his waiting, David is busy with two very important activities. First, the Bible says in verse 6 that he encouraged himself in the Lord. Can I just tell you there are times on life's journey when you won't have anybody to come along and give you a word of encouragement, so you're just going to have to encourage yourself. You can't wait for someone else to pat you on the back and hold your head up. You can't wait for somebody to send you a Hallmark card. You can't wait for the elders to come by for a visit. You can't wait for the mailman to deliver your next check. 
You can't wait for an apology from the person who offended you. There are times, <laughs> there are times you can't depend on grandma's prayers. You can't depend on mama's prayers. You, you can't even depend on the pastor's prayers. So you're going to have to pray for yourself. You're going to have to lay hands on yourself. You're going to have to touch heaven on your own behalf. You're going to have to decide that you're going to be a man or a woman of God and pick yourself up and dust yourself off and put a smile on your face, put one foot in front of the other and keep walking. You just have to shake off the accusations and shake off the injustice and shake off the criticism and stand tall. I'm persuaded to believe I'm preaching to somebody that needs to change the channel in your mind. You've been listening to this channel way too long, so turn off the moan and misery channel. Turn off the rehearse and revenge channel. Turn off the defeated and hopeless channel. Turn off the nobody loves me and nobody cares about me channel. Did you notice how David encouraged himself? It says he encouraged himself in the Lord. He didn't turn to the bottle or the weed or the pill for comfort. He didn't get on the psychic hotline. He didn't get on the phone and call up his best friend or his homegirl to talk it out. He didn't stop by the convenience store and pick up some ding-dongs and some honey buns and some chips while he munched on them and wallowed in his self-pity. He didn't. He didn't post his laundry list of hurts on social media in hopes that he could get some likes and some sympathetic comments that would allow him to play the victim. He didn't lock his door, turn out the lights, hop into bed, and pull the covers over his head. He didn't stop coming to church. While you're waiting, you need to take some time to encourage yourself in the Lord. Stop speaking out of fear and start speaking in faith. Stop rehearsing your hurts and start rejoicing in your blessings. Stop, stop reflecting on how it used to be and start imagining what it could be. Stop talking about the problem and start talking about the solution. Stop repeating the lies of the devil and start speaking the promises of God. Somebody needs to start confessing, I am more than a conqueror through the power of Jesus Christ that is at work within me. Start confessing, I am the head, not the tail. Start confessing, I'm blessed in the fields and I'm blessed in the city. Start confessing, I'm blessed coming in and I'm blessed going out. Start confessing, no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Start confessing, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Start confessing, even if he slays me, yet. I will continue to trust in the Lord. Start confessing, God is my rock and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Start confessing, greater is he who is within me than he that is in the world. Discouragement will tell you you have nothing going for you and everything's going against you. 
Encouragement says you have everything going for you, and it doesn't matter what you have going against you because God is on your side. You can encourage yourself when your trust is in the Lord. See, I, I trust him today. I trust him. Because over 65 years of living, I've seen him make a way when there was no way to be found. I trust him because every step of the journey, he has supplied all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I trust him because when nobody knows the trouble I've seen, Jesus knows and Jesus cares. I trust him because he's been my shelter in the time of storm. I trust him because he brought me out of the miry clay, out of the pit of destruction, and he set my feet upon a solid rock, and he made my footsteps firm, and he put a song of praise in my mouth. I trust him because every time I have fallen, he's always been there to pick me up. I trust him because he's been a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I trust him because when nobody else stood with me, the Lord stood with me. I trust him because he's given me a song in the midnight hour. Oh, is there anybody that knows what I'm preaching about today? You ought to give him praise if you do. Somebody ought to praise the name of the Lord today. Hallelujah. Encourage yourself in the Lord. While David was waiting, he encouraged himself in the Lord. But then he did something else in this waiting time. The Bible says he inquired of the Lord. You know, you can learn a lot about a person by observing where he turns for help in time of trouble. Crisis has a way of bringing to the surface what one really believes. David, as you know, was a man of action, but he knew better than to trust his own understanding and ability. He wasn't about to do anything without first consulting the Lord. In verse 7, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. Now, there's, there's a lesson here for somebody that's willing to listen. When you've lost it all, Instead of relying on your own instincts and your own abilities and your own ingenuity, stop and ask the Lord what should be the next step you take. What do I need to do next, Lord? You know, I, as a pastor, I have occasion to, to walk with people through difficult times. And sometimes I see people, they're in the throes of grief, and the next thing they do is like, okay, I need to sell this off, and I need to go here, and I need to relocate, and I, and, and I just say to them, stop. This is the wrong time to make those kinds of life-altering decisions. Stop. Do your grief work. And ask the Lord, what do you want me to do for my next step? See, everything in David's nature was urging him to immediately set out after the Amalekites. But rather than just race off, he took a step back so that he could inquire of the Lord. In verse 8, David asked the Lord, 
Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered, absolutely. Pursue. Now, no, don't, don't miss this. Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. Now, I want to tell you, it's important that you take the time to get God's word for your next step because once you have his word, you have his promise. Whatever he promises, he will perform. So when God says, pursue, for you will overtake them and you will rescue all, that's a divine guarantee. Without God's word on the matter, you may run after them, but you don't know if the plan of action is going to work or not. And so there's an element of doubt. I want to tell you, when they got it, when they came upon this vast company of Amalekites with this little band of people that David had, in the natural, they would have said, oh, we better turn around and go back home. Just let them have it. Be done with it. They're too much for us. But no, they had God's word on it. Doubt will cause you to hesitate. Doubt will cause you to question when you're in the middle of the pursuit and it gets difficult. But when you have God's promise, you're bold, you're brave, you're confident. It doesn't matter what obstacles try to hinder, God's promise is you will succeed. So there's a time to weep there's a time to wait while you encourage yourself in the Lord and inquire of the Lord. But then, when you have his direction, it's time to war. Now, don't check out on me yet, okay? One of the problems is that you rejoice over the proclamation of God, but then you get hung up with the process of God. See, God gives the promise, that's the guaranteed end, but between now and the promise, there's a process. And it seems that nobody wants to go through the process that it takes to get what God already said you can have. It's one thing to get happy about God's word, it's quite another to stand on God's word. It's one thing to rejoice because God has spoken. It's another to take a step and go do what God said do. And I, could, I, just, I need to tell you this, lest you, lest you think that I'm just painting this, this, uh, this rosy picture. I need to tell you, you don't recover without a battle. Everybody thinks, okay, God promises, I'm just going to sit here and, you know. The, the word of the Lord reminds us that nothing is born without travail. You needn't think that just because the Lord said you would recover it all, that the enemy is just going to docilely return it and deposit it at your feet. No. The Lord told David in verse 8, pursue. Pursue. But you're going to have to leave where you are to go get what has been promised. You're going to have to move from your comfort zone and engage the enemy. You can't just sit around and weep about what used to be and hope to recover your loss. You can't keep doing what you've always done and hope to recover what has been stolen. 
You're going to have to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You're going to have to put on the armor of God. You're going to have to actively engage the enemy of your soul. See, he's a thief and a robber. He has no right to what belongs to you. Whatever he has stolen, he has no right to. He has no right to your children. He has no right to your peace of mind. He has no right to your strength. He has no right to your rest. He has no right to your health. He's stolen it. You're going to have to take it back. You're going to have to remember the truth of Ephesians 6 and 12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, I'm telling you, there comes a time when God's people have to declare war on their spiritual enemy and fight for what has been stolen. But, but please remember, please remember, don't, don't miss this. You're not fighting other people. You're fighting a spiritual battle. Your enemy isn't your spouse or your boss or your neighbor or the politicians or the courts. Your enemy is spiritual and it requires spiritual weaponry to defeat. You don't defeat it in the natural. That's what it means in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And with this in mind, you have to apply the instruction of Ephesians 6 and 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. See, this, this spiritual enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. So put on your spiritual armor and pick up your spiritual weapon. Fight for your children. They don't belong in sin's bondage. They belong to God's family. Fight for your family members. Drugs and alcohol will not have the final say. Fight for your friends. They're not in a spiritually safe place. They're lost. They need a Savior to keep them out of an eternity away from the Lord in a place called hell. Fight for your community. Break down the strongholds of despair by lifting up the name of Jesus. Fight for your own mental and physical and emotional and spiritual health. Oh, and, 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 and don't worry if everybody can't go with you. Don't worry if some people start out with you, but then they drop out along the way. When you read through this story in chapter 3, I encourage you to read from about chapter 26 all the way to the end of 1 Samuel. It's a great story. You'll love it. But when you read further on, you discover David started out with 600, but 200 of them couldn't go the distance. 200 of them were too weary. Everybody was weary. Think about it. They had marched three days out and three days back. When they came to Ziklag, despair sapped their energy. When they saw the burned city and prolonged weeping robbed their strength, it's no wonder some of them couldn't keep going. Notice, however, David didn't get discouraged when a third of the army had to quit. Just because 200 of the men couldn't go on, it didn't stop him from his mission. 
He didn't turn around and go back home because he lost some of his people along the way. He didn't say, oh, I knew we wouldn't be able to do it. I, I, I knew this wasn't going to work. Also, 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 please notice that when these men had to stop, David didn't need to call for the ephod and ask God the question all over again. He didn't need reconfirmation. He didn't need a fresh word. No, God had spoken, God had made a promise, and he didn't have to do anything else but keep marching. I'm trying, I'm trying to help somebody today. God has made a promise. He has said it, so all you have to do is keep marching. Keep marching. I just feel like I'm speaking to somebody today that the enemy has taken some of what rightfully belongs to you. You've suffered loss. And I don't know if this is for somebody in the house or for somebody online or for somebody who's going to watch this later down the road. But I just hear the Lord saying, it's time to take it back. His promise is pursue. You shall recover it all. I don't know where you are in the process right now. You may weep. You may wait. You may war. But God's promise is you're going to win. This message may not be for everybody today, but it is for somebody. It is for somebody. Let me tell you who this is. This message is for somebody with faith rising in your heart right now. This message is for somebody who's tired of being pushed around by your spiritual enemy. This message is for somebody who will dare to believe that God is bigger than your problem and greater than your circumstance. This message is for somebody who's ready to step out on the word of the Lord. This, is, this message is for somebody who's ready to shake off the despair, put the past behind you, and step over into the new dimension of God's abundance. See, I came to this pulpit today to say to somebody, it's time to take it back. Take back your health. Take back your lost child. Take back your family. Take back your dream. Take back your joy. Take back your peace. Take back your finances. Take back your energy. Take, take back your ability to sleep at night. Take back your rest. Take back your strength. Take back your comfort. Take back your hope. Take back your destiny. Take it back. Take it back. Take it back. Guys, come up and help me get ready to stop. Don't, don't stop me yet, but, but get ready to stop me. Here's what I know. When you read through the rest of the story, you discover that David did win. He recovered all. There's a whole bunch that, I, that I've left out just because of time. But he recovered it all. But then, right on the heels of that, you find that the men of Judah came and anointed him as king, which was his appointed destiny. Remember that? That's what the prophet Samuel had already said. You're going to be king over Israel. And they actually installed him as king. Now watch this. I'm sorry, I'm about to bless myself, so y'all just hang on. 
It was only 12 days from the time David recovered what was lost at Ziklag until he was anointed as king. And I just feel like maybe the Lord wants somebody to know you're not only going to recover all that the enemy has stolen, but you're just 12 days away from being propelled into the next season of your appointed destiny. for your life. If the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to your heart about that today, if you're ready to take back what the enemy has stolen, I want you to stand right where you are and just lift your voice in a shout of victory because the Lord has promised you will win. Shout His praise right now. Somebody just needs to lift both hands to the Lord and just say, in the name of Jesus, come on, say it, in the name of Jesus, I take back that which the enemy has stolen from me. I will no longer be in fear. <laughs> I will no longer cow before the enemy, but I'm taking back what the Lord has promised was mine. In the name of Jesus, let it be so, Lord. Let it be so in the lives of your people now. Now, one more time, I want you to shout like it's already yours because His promise is a divine guarantee. stand and sing all oh, victory
Can I tell you one more thing real quick? It's at the end of the story. I didn't have time to preach all this. I don't have time to develop it. But I, but I, won't, I don't want you to miss this. Remember, there were 200 guys that were too weary to keep going. David had to leave them behind. And he left behind, you know, they, they stripped off any excess gear and left it with the guys. The Bible says they stayed behind with the stuff. They guarded it. They, they watched over it. And David took 400 guys and did battle. They fought. They, they came upon the enemy camp. They were spread out everywhere. They were so cocky. They thought they had everything done. They were... They were whining and dining and dancing. I mean, they were having a big party scattered all out over the countryside. And David and his 400 came upon them and they started taking it back. They fought that night, all through the night, the next morning, through the midday, all the way up until evening of the following day. They did recover all. But they didn't just recover everything that had been taken from Ziklag. See, these Amalekites had been plundering the countryside, and they had taken from all of these other, other places. And so not only did they get everything that was theirs, but they got all of the spoils that they had taken. So it was multiplied. It was exceeding abundantly above that they got. They got everything back. Not, not one person was killed. They... Everything was restored, super abundance. Well, they start bringing all this stuff back, and they get back to these 200 guys that are watching the stuff. And the Bible says there were some worthless fellows in these 400 that went to battle. Hey, I'm not making this up. You can read it in your Bible. It's there. And they started saying, okay, these... 200 sorry good for nothings that wouldn't go with us and they you know they they just laid down on us we'll give them back their wives and their kids but that's it we're going to keep all the loot for ourselves David said no 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 that's not the way it works guys he said those that kept guard over the stuff they're part of us, and they're going to share in it. He said, it's share and share alike. Everybody gets to participate. So what I want to tell you is that when God gives back what's been lost, it'll be a super abundance, and you'll have not only what's yours, you'll have enough to share with everybody else. How about that? Does that sound good? Now, if I was just telling that as a story, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make any difference. But, but, but that's what the Word of the Lord says. When God says it, that's, that's the way it is. So I want you today to know, you, you will have to struggle. You, yeah, it, it happens. You're going to have to fight through it. You'll have a battle. And you may find yourselves in, you know, when you have lost, they tell me there's this, this, this whole process of grief you know where you go through and just about the time you think you're through the process you find yourself back at square one and starting all over again you know that, that grief is a weird thing that's okay don't get stuck there though keep battling on and God's going to get you through that and he's going to restore that which the enemy has stolen 
over and above. And you will have a victory song. I want to tell you, you can go ahead and just declare, I'm victorious because the Lord said it. Not because Pastor John said it, because the Lord said it. Hey, i got to quit. You guys have been very patient to, to put up with me. Thank you. Uh, let's make our declaration and get out of here.